Hi, I'm Mark Iskowitz, editor-at-large for MMM, and welcome to the MMM podcast. I hope you're well and staying safe during this difficult time. My guest today is Tamar Thompson, Vice President of Govern- Government Affairs and Policy for Alexion Pharmaceuticals. And the topic of our podcast is Tamar's views on the diversity and inclusion efforts in biopharma. And we should say her views are her own, not necessarily those of her company. Uh, before we get to the questions uh, for Tamar, just a couple of housekeeping items as we uh, normally do here at MMM. Uh, we've got a lot of upcoming events on the event slate. Uh, the first one that we have coming up is our Hall of Femme, uh, which is coming up September 22nd virtually. Uh, next is 40 Under 40 on September 29th. And our flagship uh, conference, MMM Transform, is coming up October, excuse me, September 29th, um, excuse me, September uh, uh, 30th and October 1st. Uh, and our awards are coming up on October 8th. And uh, all of those, again, are virtual. And you can read more about them at mmm-online.com forward slash events. Okay. Uh, so, Tamara, I want to welcome you to the MMM podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's fantastic to be here, Mark. Um, you know, I've been writing quite a bit about uh, the, uh, you know, efforts to um, improve diversity and inclusion in biopharma, uh, not just from the standpoint of uh, the industry's own executive ranks, uh, but also uh, diversity of its clinical trials and, and supplier diversity. And so I look forward to uh, talking with you more about that. Uh, but let's just start with a, um, a, a question about your background and, and your own personal climb. You know, you've always been on the, on the market access side of the equation. Can you just tell us what drew you to that area? Yeah, so it, it's interesting that you say that and, and say the market access side of things. Um, I have to be honest with you, you know, I didn't know what market access was until I joined pharma, right? Um, so I think that for uh, those of us who um, don't have, you know, the industry experience in our blood, but choose to go into the healthcare continuum of sorts um, as a career, um, we often find ourselves starting on the provider, you know, uh, care side of things. Um, and that was how my journey started. I thought I wanted to be a nurse until I didn't. Um, and so when you're, when you're young and you've spent a year or two of your life uh, in a program, it seems uh, that that was an infinite amount of time. And I was very fortunate to have um, a mentor who was also a family member who said, listen, you, you know, you may want to try health information management, because what it sounds like is that you have the desire to understand healthcare. Um, you just, you know, you maybe aren't um, comfortable with the clinical, you know, physical care side of things. Um, so this is a way that you can merge those two aspects of, of uh, wanting to be in healthcare, but stay more on the administrative side of, of, of the activity. And fortunately for me, that meant uh, moving toward clinical coding um, and medical records. Uh, So I'll date myself and say that um, my career started in the basement of the hospital. The coders are a little more revered now, so they're not in the basement with the asbestos uh, (laughs) these days. Um, They actually, you know, are on the forefront and cutting edge and and really um, have a prominent place in healthcare, which is not, you know, the way that uh, coders revered when I, when I started my journey in that space. Um, it's also not necessarily, it, excuse me, it's also not necessarily viewed as a, a women-oriented uh, type of a, a career choice. 
you know, yeah, I think uh, it, it's an interesting, yeah, uh, area uh, uh, to go into for sure. You know, the, and, and we're talking, you know, medical records coding, uh, so diagnosis codes, CPT for the translation of, clin- you know, of um, clinical care into uh, numeric values that then, you know, get moved into uh, reimbursement payment. And so that was really the segue into my journey uh, and, you know, into what we would call the market access side of, of healthcare um, was just not wanting to, you know, to be in the clinical sphere. Um, I just, yeah, you know, just didn't realize how reactive I would be to blood. So that, I think that's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, the exposure that you had to all that clinical taxonomy and the behind the scenes coding uh, is probably serving you well around this time. It, it does. And I, you know, there's a point in my journey, I'm an Air Force wife, we've moved a lot. Um, so I have many colleagues who, you know, have had the opportunity and the, and, uh, the benefit of being local and, and spending a lot of years in one career, you know, segment where I've had to, you know, make a lot of pivots because, you know, my husband gets orders and we move. Um, and, and we're at the end of that journey. So that doesn't happen anymore. But, uh, it has been helpful more so than I, I ever thought possible to understand how managed care works, to understand how, you know, the provider practice thinks and receives information uh, versus, you know, having a traditional government affairs and policy background. Um, you know, there, there are aspects of that that I've had to learn differently, right? But I, because I never worked on the Hill, um, whereas a lot of my colleagues have, but having taken the journey and the pathway that I did um, is incredibly valuable to the company. So I, you know, I do have a different appreciation for the journey than, than maybe I would have, you know, even five or 10 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you did slow down enough uh, that you were a strategic, strategic policy advisor and consultant for three premier Washington DC based firms, um, ADVI, Kimballis and Associates and Avalier Health. Um, mm-hmm. And you still are, you know, based in the in the Beltway area. Yeah, it's a it's it's an interesting time to be based here now, um, but I I love the DC area and um, you know can't imagine myself being anywhere else for the foreseeable future. So, so you know, great people, great uh, opportunity. Um, if you're in healthcare, you know, the access to information that you have and. Uh, the ability to engage and make meaningful change for policy um, to the betterment of patients is just, I can't even describe, it's no other feeling like that. It's just, it's an amazing opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Sort of in the heart of, you know, where all all the, a lot of, if not, you know, most of the policy decisions are are being debated and discussed and and decided ultimately. Uh, I'll get, your views on, on some of those uh, policy decisions in a moment. But I, I wanted to just also ask you, given that your, your title, you know, has to do with policy, one would not necessarily associate that with, you know, involvement in the company's uh, diversity and inclusion efforts. Can you talk about, you know, how you've been involved there? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, and I'll just be candid is, um, uh, you know, the social injustice issues, um, have definitely drawn, you know, me into an area that may not have traditionally been a focal point for, you know, for pharmaceutical 
heads of office. Um, I know that that, you know, that's probably um, a very different statement for many of my colleagues who work in consumer, you know, product development areas uh, for different companies, you know, that are closer touch points to consumers. But um, being one of three African-American female um, heads of office in, in the pharmaceutical community, there are three of us, um, really kind of uh, <laughs> led me uh, down a journey, you know, of, of uh, being close to the DNI efforts for my current company. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, uh, that's part, a big part of it. But, you know, when we started to experience the, the COVID, I would call it the perfect storm between um, the challenges of COVID, the economic um, conditions brought on by COVID. And then when we started to see the, you know, the George Floyd issues emerge, um, being pulled into some of the discussions around, should we make a, a statement as a company on, you know, what this means and, and how we feel about Black lives um, really, you know, became a, a meaningful part of my role because, um, you know, the intertwinement with that of, um, you know, dealing with government officials and, uh, you know, how to respond to that and working with, you know, folks whom, whom I've not had to engage with before on behalf of the company really came a, became a meaningful part of my job. Um, you know, just by virtue of being in an African-American female in the role that I am, I've always been close to this effort and tried to do my part. I'm a member of WOSIP and and other, you know, things, but um, over, I would say the last maybe, you know, four to six months, it's become a meaningful part of my job and a collaborative effort, you know, with our, uh, you know, HR team uh, for the reasons that, you know, I, we just outlined and that we're all aware of. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been an, an interesting journey. Um, one that I'm, I'm happy to be a part of and happy to, uh, have the opportunity to play a meaningful role in, you know, shaping a future that I hope we can look back on, you know, proudly. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's a tremendous um, uh, opportunity and a, and a pivotal moment in our nation's history. What with the pandemic, um, which <clears throat> we should say has um, impacted the African-American community disproportionately, as well as the social unrest uh, brought about, um, following the, the tragic uh, killing of George Floyd, uh, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery. Um, and, um, you know, those twin pandemics uh, have, um, you know, prompted a lot of obviously dialogue. Um, and the company is very fortunate to have you, uh, you know, involved and, and spearheading efforts there. Um, and, you know, speaking of the company's efforts, I know Alexion just appointed a new chief diversity officer, uh, officer excuse me, uh, Uzair Kadir, hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, um, last month. Um, and he, as I understand it, is the first person to fill that post. Why did the company, uh, you know, determine that now was a good time to, you know, kind of create the position of chief diversity officer? Yeah, so it's Yusair uh, Kadir. Um, we are so excited that Yusair, um, who also you'd mentioned, uh, you know, my background, uh, uh, spent time at, at Bristol Myers Squibb as well um, com before coming over to Alexion. So I'm ex so excited that he has um, taken on this new role. 
um, and leveraging all of his historical experience in prior roles, uh, you know, for the benefit of Alexion. Um, I think, you know, uh, to answer your question around the time, this is something that we've been looking at um, as a company for a few years now um, and, and felt that the time was right to go ahead and move forward. I think every company, you know, looks at the, you know, their DNI efforts. Um, and one of the challenges that I've seen over my years of experience, you know, having worked at Bristol, G, uh, GE Healthcare and other companies is that the diversity inclusion journey is, is different for every company. Um, and what we've started to see is, you know, you want to move in a direction where you're not just checking the boxes um, and make it a meaningful journey. Um, and so I think we were looking uh, at, you know, hiring for a diversity and inclusion officer. And that role was, um, I think, going to report into the HR function. And as, you know, some of the issues that have emerged have uh, come to the forefront, it really helped our organization to understand that this needed to be a position that reported directly into the C-suite under, uh, you know, the, the support and guidance of our CEO. And so um, I think that's what, you know, was new and different about the search for this role was to put someone and appoint someone internally um, who couldn't be better qualified for the role uh, to, to that capacity um, and making our CEO, you know, directly accountable, quite frankly. You know, you have some folks that have these roles um, reporting into HR or one layer, you know, removed from the C-suite. I think what's amazing about what we've done is that, you know, not only have we hired um, an openly gay Pakistani man for, you know, this role, um, we, it, you know, he is someone who reports into the, our CEO who clearly, you know, wants to take this very seriously um, and hold himself ultimately accountable for um, our, the reflection of our measure as well. Yeah, that, that's quite a, a uh, commitment um, and move uh, by, uh, is it Ludwig Hanston, um, mm -hmm. you know, the CEO? Uh, Dr. Ludwig Hansen, we should say, um, to to you know create that accountability um, aspect uh, to to the to the position. Uh, do you expect uh, USAIR's uh, work to overlap with yours? Does uh, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, as as the company puts it, integrate with uh, with what you're doing? Um, absolutely, I think it it will uh, integrate well with the work that we've been doing um, in partnership. Quite frankly before he was uh, appointed to this role, uh, just you know, by way of example, you know, we talk about diversity um, in clinical trial efforts, and I know we'll get into that and unpack it a little bit here. Um, but when you also talk about um, you know, social justice issues, um, these are things that you, Sarah and I, um, look forward to working on in collaboration and really uh, organizational um, pipeline development for, you know, for our, uh, our company in particular, and to help to, to champion to be the blueprint for the, for the industry on making sure that recruitment efforts for uh, African Americans in particular, uh, you know, is strengthened in, in the pharmaceutical sector. I don't think that, you know, I think one of the challenges uh, when you look at DNI is that we tend to lump things together to say, you know, diversity, inclusion for underserved um, groups 
when you look at some of those groups, um, you know, when you look at women as a whole, we tend to, you know, include all, um, you know, races of women in that bucket. And there are some that are, are more underserved than others. And, and you, Sarah and I have had many conversations about that um, and how we continue to increase and enhance the pipeline of specifically African-American women um, but African-Americans in general to come into the company. So I, I see many, many opportunities for us to work on many projects together and collaboratively um, in, the, in the days, weeks, years, and months to come. Beautiful. Of the, of the 25 largest publicly traded pharma companies in the U.S. and Europe, 80% have chief diversity officers or equivalent roles compared to 47% of the S&P 500 according to one analysis uh, from last year. I was a little surprised to hear that it was so high. Uh, why do you think that is? Is this sort of a quiet movement uh, or is it just that I've had my head in the sand uh, the last couple of years? Uh, no, I mean, I think diversity and inclusion is important to companies, um, academically speaking. Uh, I think that um, it's at the most, senior echelons of the company very known that uh, companies who are diverse, um, not only at the, the junior mid levels of the company, but at the more senior levels perform better um, and have more meaningful outcomes, right, of, you know, whatever the company is. So, in, you know, in a pharmaceutical company, you know, having the diverse voice of minorities at the table means that you're likely to get a better outcome you know, on whether it be clinical trial protocol development, um, marketing, you know, strategies, whatever, uh, you know, discussion you're having, the, I think the conversation is um, only enhanced when you have diverse perspectives and not just from an ethnicity standpoint, but, you know, also, um, you know, from a, a, a race, sex, and, you know, and as well as background of diversity of thought. Um, so I think that, you know, almost every company understands and gets that. I think the challenge is pulling through on that, right? So, you know, diversity is acknowledging that you need those people at the table that are different from you, right, in some form or fashion to strengthen the company uh, and the thinking. But then, you know, we move to that inclusion place of, you know, giving those people a seat at the table who might not otherwise have one, um, but getting to have a place where the voice is heard is kind of a newer concept and where those people are not only heard, but their voices included in, you know, the meaningful outcomes. And we're now kind of calling that belonging, right? So it's, it's gone from D and DNI to DIB, right? And so I think that um, the challenge that we have is that we understand how, you know, how diversity enhances company performance. What we don't always understand is how to either recruit, retain, maintain, and, and pull through on that strength of diversity. Um, and so that, that may be one of the reasons um, that it's not as prominently discussed is that the pull through piece of this, I think is still a conundrum very interesting for me and I'll you know pause on this topic here but um, I worked at GE healthcare you know more sadly hate to admit more than two decades ago and this was a part of the fabric there um, when I moved over to other you know companies in the life sciences sector I was very shocked to see that this was kind of a newer concept 
so um, I feel that, you know, we just haven't really kind of cracked the, the, uh, the, the nut or the secret sauce on how to, how to pull through on diversity and inclusion to really make it a meaningful part of, of the business operation. Right. And not only, you know, uh, giving them, giving women of color, say, uh, more of a seat at the table, but making them feel uh, included and welcome uh, and, and that sense of belonging, uh, which is, which is the, the third aspect, the third leg of the stool, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but beyond appointing a chief diversity officer, drug makers also need to be intentional and mindful about how best to maximize the CDO's potential value and impact. Uh, you mentioned the WOSIP event, the Women of Color and Pharma Think Tank, which was held on July 30th, of which Alexan was a sponsor. There was some live polling there, and as I understand it, the findings uh, show that only 20% of the 10 or so drug makers and CROs attending the think tank said their corporate plans around diversity and inclusion were specific and intentional. When you look around the industry, do you see this changing fast enough? Um, you know, sadly, no. And I, I think it's, you know, it's certainly not for the lack of desire or, um, you know, the, the will to want, right? It's it, um it's something that I think is difficult for uh, for companies to uh, embrace and to understand how to do well. Um, and I think, you know, part of the reason that it's a challenge, quite frankly, may be because diversity and inclusion is such a hot topic. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, kind of a commodity of a job now where getting people you know, into roles um, where they can actually be meaningful contributors, uh, you know, to helping move the needle in the company really, you know, takes um, some expertise there. Um, and, and so I think, you know, I would love to see us spend more time and effort on this. Um, and, and WOSIP is the driver for that. I mean, the folks that they had at the table at, that, at the WOSIP event, the think tank, was phenomenal. We are very proud to be, you know, sponsors and a part of that discussion. Um, you know, the, the folks that they had speak are really the at the forefront of this from, you know, specifically for, for Black women and looking at this from, you know, kind of an African-American standpoint. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we need to, you know, tap into that talent and leverage it more in the pharmaceutical community. Sure. Let's um, talk or shift gears a little bit and talk about Alexion, uh, if you don't mind, or talk about Alexion a little bit more. Um, how would you say uh, the company's DI and B, diversity and inclusion and belonging, efforts um, have evolved? Um, and, you know, from the standpoint of, say, you know, enhancing the pipeline of women of color to come to the company. And, you know, how would, how would you, or would you be willing to share how Alexion stacks up from a racial and gender perspective in its executive ranks and its, its, in its clinical trials. Yeah, um, so always happy to talk about Alexia. I'm very proud to be here. Um, you know, I part of the reason I joined this company is when you look at our C-suite, um, we are, I think, one of very few companies and you know, pharma or non-pharma um, where the C-suite looks like ours. Um, you know, our, our chief, uh, of finance, you know, our CFO is is a female, um, a diverse female, a, a woman of color. She's Indian. Um, my boss, um, you know, who is our chief of corporate affairs, is uh, Filipino. We also have, you know, a Puerto Rican female 
uh, in our C-suite as well. Our um, head of general counsel is a female. So I think that, you know, we um, really have already set ourselves apart as a company. Um, and I work for, a, you know, uh, one step removed for a CEO who believes in equity and diversity and inclusion. And, and these decisions were made around what his C-suite looks like um, were at his hand well before, as you know, we had a, a chief diversity officer. Um, so I think, you know, the opportunities for us lie in um, ensuring that pipeline of talent, you know, coming into the organization at the mid and junior levels and ensuring that we have a strong, robust, um, you know, pathway for those folks to make their way to um, senior levels within the company. So I think that's where our opportunities lie. And I'm, I'm really excited to get to work with you, Sarah, um, you know, on, on how we build that out and making that, you know, uh, a meaningful legacy for the company. Um, I think clinical trials, uh, it's a challenge for everyone, but, you know, we're a rare disease company. So like when you talk about, you know, uh, diversity and inclusion in clinical trials. I mean, when you're talking ultra rare populations of people where you may only have 50 people in the trial, you know, unless it's a disease state where um, it's, you know, disproportionately affecting African Americans or, uh, you know, other minorities, it's going to be even, you know, increasingly difficult um, to, to find uh, you know, folks to participate in those trials and get that diversity that you that you want. Um, that being said, you know, not giving our company a, a pass at all, we could and should do better. Um, and I think we are looking at ways that we can do better. Um, one way that, you know, we've been looking at this is uh, we are in this is public information. We're, you know, excited um, to be working uh, on a, a, ther a therapy uh, that uh, will hopefully be useful in COVID if the, if the clinical data, um, you know, turns out as such with advanced respiratory distress for COVID-related uh, advanced respiratory distress. Um, you know, certainly given the disproportionate um, effect of COVID on minority communities, particularly the African-American community, that is something that we have focused on, on looking to address um, as we move, you know, further down the road in our studies in this space as well. Um, so, you know, I, I would say that's an opportunity area for us, but it, you know, the, the, uh, the idea and the concept of diversity and inclusion in clinical trials for most pharma companies, you know, we tend to see this as like some holy grail that it's so difficult and we just don't know how to fix it. Um, and that's probably a whole nother podcast <laughs> for, you know, what we could be doing to, you know, to, to move the needle on how to fix it. But I will say that, you know, again, not to give us a pass, um, but it is extraordinarily difficult, you know, in, um, in rare disease, just to find the patients you need, let alone the, you know, the diverse candidates, but we are not, um, you know, leveraging that as an excuse by any stretch of the measure. I think we are, you know, looking at opportunities to improve uh, in in this way as well. Sure, sure. And I, I just have to point out that you've used the phrase creating a legacy a couple of times now. And I think that speaks to the seriousness with which you view this, uh, not just a job, but a mission to improve in these areas um, and uh, to, um, you know, the uh, importance uh, that, you, that you attach to it. Just had to, to point that out. Um, you know, we've seen some, some biotech and large pharma companies establish goals for boosting representation 
of African-American and Latino employees in the U.S. and for achieving gender parity at the executive level, as well as for building supplier diversity and making their, their clinical trials more inclusive, um, alluding to uh, your former company, company Bristol-Myers Squibb, of course, a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. Uh, but is Alexion willing at this time to make a similar commitment to how your company's racial and gender diversity will shift over time and to strengthening health equity across the business? Yeah, so we're not as rich as Bristol, so we're not we're not uh, you know able to to give uh, you know in the financial uh, 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 range of what we've seen our colleagues at, at BMS do. And hats off to them. I'm, I really you know couldn't be prouder to be an alumni, seeing that information you know come across the wire and other companies as well. Um, you know to make the plunge um, for commitments in this space. Um, we are members of MassBio, and you know the the folks over at MassBio have asked uh, companies who are participants and members to make a public pledge um, to sign off from their CEO uh, level and to commit to a number of things, uh, you know, that they will do to improve um, not only growth of of African Americans in the employee ranks, but a number of other commitments to improve diversity, inclusion, and belonging for the African American community, um, and as well as others. And and so we have proudly sound, um, signed off on that pledge. Um, you know, from the company standpoint, I would say that we are also supporting. We're members of Pharma. We're supporting Pharma's uh, efforts on DNI as well, and we've been an active participant. Um, thanks to, you know, the leadership at Pharma uh, reaching out and asking for support there. We've, you know, been an active participant in shaping that direction and plan to continue on with that. Um, you know, as you, as you know, we've just hired our um, head of diversity and, uh, you know, uh, 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 chief diversity officer, but we're staffing up that team. So we will still be hiring, um, you know, under USAIR to ensure that we continue this work and, you know, expand the relationship internally so that we can coordinate um, not only the work that we're doing in government affairs, but clinical, you know, from the clinical R&D development standpoint as well. So maybe a long-winded way of saying that we are getting to yes, we've made some commitments publicly on, you know, what we'd like to see achieved. Um, I think our journey, you know, is, is more at the starting line than the, you know, kind of the midway, um, you know, when we compare ourselves to some of our other peers and colleagues in this space, but um, I'm very proud, you know, of the work and the efforts that we've put forth in this space to date. And I look forward to, you know, a more robust discussion um, the next time I get to talk to you on the podcast update. <laughs> okay, it's a deal. Um, but when it comes to having ethnic diversity in leadership teams, uh, we've seen, uh, according to the latest uh, McKinsey and Company data, that biopharma is actually in the middle of the pack versus other sectors. But when you compare biopharma against other healthcare stakeholders, namely health systems and payers, they have the lowest share of women of color in line roles across the organization. What's the low-hanging fruit for uh, of diversity, inclusion, and belonging? What fixes would you like to see in the short term in biopharma and uh, in the long term? Yeah, um, I would just say hire more black women. <laughs> That's the short answer. Um, I, I mean, to, but to be serious about it, I, I think, you know, my own experience and challenge is um, it's very interesting when we, you know, we talked about the questions for, you know, uh, this, this particular um, topic. 
I have a background, as we've talked about, in working in um, you know other sectors of healthcare beyond pharma. Um, and I would say that my trajectory for um, growth and leadership were not hindered um, as significantly by my race as as I've seen them hindered in in the pharmaceutical sector. Um, and there are a number of reasons for that, but but I think by and large. Um, you know, it's uh, pharma tends to be an environment that's still very heavily, you know, white male driven from the top. Um, and that's not meant to be an insult. But when you don't have people, uh, diverse people in your circle of trust who can help to um, explain things to you and you don't, you know, understand why people are behaving or performing a certain way due to cultural dynamics then that can tend to lead to, um, a, a, you know, an, an, an challenges of, you know, perceiving things in a way, uh, you know, that, that are not common for you, right? So I guess in other words, what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if, if, if culturally you don't understand a black woman and her position in her family, her position, you know, as a, as a matriarch in the family, um, her, the, her upbringing, the behaviors may be off-putting to you um, and they may come across as aggressive. I've been, you know, I've been told that, right? And I'm like, what? Aggressive? What? <laughs> so, so I think the, you know, the more that you can bring people to the table in your trusted circles of relationships to help you to understand um, the variations of culture, the variations, the dynamics of, of, of people's personal journey, um, the maybe the more you'd be willing to bring black women to the table and, and understand, you know, how, how they, how they're willing to work hard. And, and, you know, they're very smart, just as anyone else would be, and, and will thrive and be loyal in ways beyond, um, you know, what you might have thought if you, if you get past some of those, um, you know, stereotypes that, you know, quite frankly, have been put out there. Uh, I think we have a serious problem with that in, in the pharmaceutical sector that um, does, for whatever reason, not exist as pervasively um, in, in other sectors of healthcare and beyond. So putting aside those or attacking those stereotypes um, to the extent that, that they're holding back um, women of color and, and the industries. Uh, ability to advance in this area is is an immediate need. What, what about over the long term? Long term, you know, I, I I think that we have to be champions. The the you know I mentioned there are three heads of office that are black today. Um, we have to speak up. Speak, you know, if you have a seat at the table, um, you've got to use that voice to push through. You know, I was having a conversation. Um, just the other day with my husband about, you know, reflecting on, on John Lewis and um, he's uh, right about the age of my, you know, grandparents and, and saying that this pivotal point in time, um, the folks who, you know, have gone down the path of this journey, African-American, you know, leaders uh, who stood there with MLK and, uh, and other leaders to champion and lead the, lead the fight that has allowed me to stand on their shoulders, um, you know, are, are unfortunately a dying breed, right? And I question, did we listen? You know, have we heard them? Are we yet capable of holding the torch and, con and continuing on that journey? 
Um, I, I hope that the answer is yes for all of us. Um, I don't want to see my generation who clearly needs to now pick up that torch and run with it, um, you know, be complacent or feel like good, this is good enough. Um, and, and to be able to continue on a journey to ensure that, you know, the next generation of kids can walk in a room um, and not have to, to appreciate the fact that they're the only one at the table and then and feel lucky that they got there. Uh, I think that we have, you know, those of us in the African American community tend to accept if there's one at the table that's good enough. Um, we need to, you know, start to challenge ourselves to think differently so that we can push the envelope and the measure for the next generation. And I think we owe that to the next generation of kids, but we owe it more so um, to the generations before us whose shoulders we're standing on. Wow. And, and you just, you know, um, if I may say so, I, I think beautifully summed up what I, I think are, you know, real American values. And that is, um, you know, we're a diverse fabric of, of people and uh, people like John Lewis were true American heroes and championing those values and reminding us of how, how to be the best we can be. Um, and, and to achieve the true vision of our country, upholding those upholding those values, and and it's it's certainly um, a, a noble vision that we all need to strive for in the long term. Um, well, on on that note, um, I think we we should uh, end on on that very positive note. Um, I want to thank you, Tamar, for for sharing your views here. It's really been a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you. And no, the, the privilege and the pleasure is all mine, Mark. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, it's been fantastic. Oh, thank you for saying that. And uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon. Look uh, forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. And, and everyone out there, you know, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, the podcast. Uh, if you did, please like us, um, help others discover the show, uh, and hit that subscribe button um, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, so for uh, Tamar Thompson, this has been Marcus Kuitz signing off. We'll see you next time on the MMM Podcast. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.